Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. Well, do you have a Bible? Would you open it up? Joshua chapter 6, and as we get into the Word, we always want to welcome those that are here, those that are uh, online with us. It seems like we get a bigger crowd online at the 9 a.m. I wonder why. It's those folks that love to sleep and stay home, right? But uh, we want to welcome you as well, but however you were with us, if you were with us last week, we left off with the Israelites, and we left off with that mission that they were assigned to invade the city of Jericho. And we're going to pick up right into that story with our Hebrews chapter 11 Hall of Faith members. But the Bible tells us a little bit about this city called Jericho. Uh, No, I'm not talking about the wrestler Chris Jericho. Any WWE fans in the house? Only me. Only me. I know somebody knows Chris Jericho. There we go. There's one over there. But the walls of Jericho were so large, they were so tall, they were so thick. The Bible tells us it was in an impenetrable city that the Israelites come and they march to and they are on a victory tour. They have what's called momentum. How many of you ever in life you can feel when you have momentum on a mission and you can feel where it seems like you are just spinning your tires in the mud and you cannot get that momentum going? Well, the Israelites have momentum. They've experienced victory after victory once they have departed Egypt and they arrive upon this city called Jericho. The Bible tells us it was so impenetrable that these walls were so thick and so high that they would actually have chariot races on top of these walls. It was where they did all their Sunday morning sports betting. No, I'm teasing. Like you got rough, rough crowd. NFL, you know, it's coming up. We would never do that, right? Nobody here loves the NFL, right? Uh, it's, where they, it's, where they would, it's where they would do life. They would have competition. They would have sport. They would do things around this city. But the reality was the Israelites came upon this obstacle in the city of Jericho It was closed up tight. We're going to pick it up. If you have a Bible, Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to see something as we move into today's hero. And we talk a little bit about the Israelites. But we're going to move on to a story of a woman that lives in this city. Uh, Her name is Rahab. She is the next lady on the list that is is named in the, the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Her name is Rahab. But Joshua and his army is getting ready to invade her city. They are getting ready to invade Jericho. And the Lord gives Joshua a battle strategy that, uh, can we say it like this, sounds pretty crazy. Any former military folks in the house? Any former police officers? Right? Any, if, you're, if you're like retired military, would you raise your hand? Come on now. We're going to talk about a battle strategy so bizarre that, that I believe it probably didn't make sense then, and it does not make sense now. It's so outlandish, this, this strategy that God gives to Joshua, I'm pretty confident that no one will ever try to do this again. Right? Are you ready to read about it? Let's read about it here. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out 
But the Lord said to Joshua, here it is, I have given you Jericho. I've given it to you. I've given you its king and all its strong warriors. Here's what you need to do. Here's the mission. Here's the assignment. You and your fighting men march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. Verse 5, are you still with me, church? This is a crazy assignment. When you hear the priests give the long blast of the ram's horns, that's the signal to have all the people shout as loud as they can. And here is the battle strategy revealed. When you shout as as loud as you can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So let's break this down for a moment. Let's track, let's put ourselves in this culture. Let's, Let's think about what this looked like, what it sounded like, what it smelled like in that desert, right? So here is the assignment. Here's the strategy. For six days, I want your military. Here's what I want you to do. Ready? Wait for it. I don't want you to go look to see where some weak points are. I don't want you to try to sneak in. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just walk. That's the strategy. I want you to walk. I want you to just just, just walk around the walls. That's it. For six days, I want you to walk around one time. Then, here it goes. This strategy gets really, really complicated. Are you ready for it? On the seventh day, march around the city seven times so make sure you wear your good under armor walking shoes right make sure you wear your track shoes because on the seventh day you're going to walk around the the building the, the the city seven times and here we go after you do that after you walk here you go you ready for it here's what god says here's here's your battle strategy here's your roadmap to victory i want you to yell that's it I want you to blow the ram's horn. I want you to shout some praise. I want you to yell. And as we've seen, this reoccurring theme, a lot of these themes come up with these Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 11 heroes, is that, man, God places people in situations that are sometimes bizarre, sometimes a little bit strange. Sometimes these situations, these asks, these requests, these battle plans that God delivers, sometimes they don't even seem to make sense. And it's, it, it's odd to us, but the Bible makes it very clear, right, that it sh- it's not odd to God at all. It says God's ways are what? Not our ways. God's thoughts are what? Not our thoughts. His, his ways and his thoughts are high above anything we can imagine or, or comprehend is what Scripture says, right? So what seems odd to us, it's because we don't see the whole picture of what God's plan is, of how he decides to move, right? The creator of the universe is, is, is not limited, He's not limited in what he can do. He's not limited in what he can create. He's not limited in what he can cause, right? Our understanding, it's very clear, our our understanding of him is, is very limited. But his understanding is infinite. And so today as we transition from this, this story before, before those walls come tumbling down, right? We're going to talk about a woman Her name is Rahab. Would you write her name down in your notes today? Would you get out your pen, get out your paper, get out your smartphone? Would you begin to start, get those thumbs ready to take some notes? Would you turn to someone and say, Rahab? No, no, no. So turn to someone and say, Rahab. We're going to read about her. Be very gentle with my the way we describe her, but the reality is she she is a, 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 a woman that seems a bit unlikely for God's Hall of Fame. 
And the reality, we, we see this with every hero. We kind of go, oh my gosh, I'm comforted by the fact that these people are so human. Like these people listed in Hebrews chapter 11 are so human, but, but she seems like a very unlikely candidate for God's hall of faith. Let's read about her a little bit. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. So we're working back through Hebrews 11, and look how she is described. It was by faith that made Rahab the prostitute, welcomed the spies, and was not killed with those who refused to obey God. And you might be sitting here today looking at the screen. Did you read that correctly? Yes, you did. Right? If we know anything about Rahab, it's, it's interesting to me, and we'll get into this a little bit later, because over and over in Scripture, we also see that like, her name is attached to her job. And it's interesting because sometimes I even think, man, that doesn't feel fair to like a lot of other people we don't necessarily do that with. But did you read that correctly? Like it says she's a prostitute. Some translations say she's a harlot. And, and truth be told, we could, we could insert any term to describe that, right? We could put in anything that we want and it would be accurate. It would be an accurate way of describing this Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith member. And what's interesting to me is it's not only her profession that makes her, to me, stand out as a very unlikely candidate. But we also get into the fact that Hebrews chapter 11, it, it's talking about a lot of heroes of the Jewish faith. Let's make sure we remember like her, her, the context and the culture of where she was from, how she was raised, right? This Hebrews 11, if we had a hall of fame to go visit and look at the stories of all these folks, man, we could say it like this, it's dedicated to the heroes of Jewish history. Right, And here we see Rahab, immediately she could be labeled, like many of us maybe feel from time to time, Rahab is an outsider. Not only does her, her profession place her, right, a, a profession that's looked down upon and frowned upon, but there's also a, a race issue here. There's also an, an issue where she is a Gentile. She is not Jewish. This is a big deal, right? And based on nationality alone, she doesn't belong in Hebrews chapter 11. I was reading a, a commentary this week, and it said that her very name may have actually represented that like she was raised in a family of pagan worship with, with the first two letters of her name, R-A, right? Rahab, R-A, Ra, representing the Egyptian god Ra or possibly the Canaanite god Ra. So it's possible from a very young age, this young woman was, was dedicated to serve these little G gods that she was branded from birth for idolatry. And we know in that culture and we know in Jericho that prostitution was an active part of their culture. There were other things like murder for sport, right? I mentioned like chariot races on the top of the walls, but they had gladiator type games. They, it, was, it was regular to practice homosexuality. It was regular to practice prostitution. It was regular to, to practice even human sacrifice. These type of sins had infiltrated every part of the society in Jericho and, and Rahab. She wasn't just culturally different, like from a race standpoint. Yes, she was a Gentile, but the culture she was raised in was totally different than the Israelites. We say it like that, like the Israelites worshiping one true God, following one true God. The culture of, of Rahab and her people wasn't just a little different, all right? We're talking about a big difference from that of the Israelites. And this woman who, can we say it like this? She works the red light district. She works the night shift. She has an amazing story. Can we get into it? We can, all right, you sure? Can we get into it? All right, jump back with me to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, and let's get it. Let's get into her story. 
Let's go to it. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there that night. Now, Scripture tells us, and and history tells us, and you can look at some commentaries, will tell us that her house was actually built into the walls itself. Her house was built into the wall, and and the Bible says it it was built into the wall near the entrance of the gate. It was, it was a convenient location. It was a prime location for not only a spy to sneak into, right? They're going to go scout out the land and they, they sneak in. But let's be real, it's, it's a prime location for visitors to sneak into. It's a prime location for locals to sneak into and also for them to sneak out of, possibly undetected, right? And so for this, this reason, the location of her home granted the Israelites access to begin to scout out this city that they are commanded to take and it gives them the ability to go undetected but for obvious reasons this this house was set up in a way that goes with her business it goes with her profession let's continue on are you still with me verse two are we tracking y'all looking at me like we need some more coffee today we need some more more jamba juice some more red bull anybody here all right verse two but you know we talk about like people, people gossip, right? People do this a lot, and apparently, you know, somebody saw these guys come in. So look at this. People talk, people talk. Someone told the king of Jericho, some of those Israelites have come here tonight, and they're spying on our land. So the king of Jericho, look what he did. He sent orders to Rahab, bring out these men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. What we're going to see is rumor has spread about these Israelites, their numbers, their might, their power, but most importantly, their God that they worship. Verse 4, look at what she decides to do. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. Uh, They left the town at dusk, and as the gates were about to close, I don't know where they went. Look what she tells the king. She tells the messengers, but if you hurry, I got an idea. If you really, really hurry, you're going to catch up to them on the road. You're going to catch them. But look at verse 6. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid up. This story is, is, while it's entertaining, right? I, I love reading about the, I love the Old Testament heroes, right? Just entertained. Like, I, I just love getting into the Old Testament. But the fact is, Rahab here is also like, we, we, we see her, this hero tells a very blatant lie, doesn't she? She blatantly lies to authority. She blatantly lies to her king. And so this, this <laughs> maybe write this down. Let's, let's track some of these things about Rahab. This hall of faith hero is a liar. She is a, a prostitute. That's her job. She is a, a, a liar. She's a pagan, right? She's a pagan. She's a madam. She's a Gentile. She's an escort. You take your name. She's all these things. These accurately describe her. And we're probably still scratching our heads a little bit wondering why or how did she end up in the hall of faith? Well, let's get into this because I love her story. I love her story. Verse 7, so the king's men, they, they believed her. They went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho 
was shut. You know, it's, it's interesting to me, and if you have your, your notes, would you get ready to write, write down point number one when we're, we're faced with tough choices from time to time. Rahab is faced with a tough choice. She can, she can lie to her king, right? And, and we know, like, the Bible's clear what the Bible says about lying, but if she lies, she saves these two men, right? If she lies, she saves these two men, but if she tells the truth, it's very clear what's going to happen to them. They're, they're, they're going to be killed. These spies from Israel are going to be killed, and, 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 and Rahab makes a tough decision. She intentionally and purposely decides to lie to her king. She says, they're, they're, already, they're already gone. They're, they're already left, right? I, I think it's, it's safe to say that Rahab is good at telling people stories, right? She's, she's good at convincing people of a story, and she, her, her skills are on display here. She sins, but she saves the lives of these, Israelite, uh, of these Israelite men. I was talking to my dad today briefly in the car as we came to church, and, and I was reminded of that story in Exodus, right? Where we hear the story of how Moses, is, Moses right, he, he came, and, and in Exodus chapter one, the Bible talks about how the king, the Pharaoh, he instructed midwives to murder the babies of the Hebrews. Right? He instructed them to drown them in the river, and there were midwives that not only refused to do so, but they lied to his face. They, they basically said, man, these Israelite women, they are vigorous. They give birth to children so fast, we can't even get there to help them deliver. Right? They were reproducing at too, too, too fast of a pace for the Egyptians to handle, and, and the Bible says that the midwives lied to the Pharaoh for this reason. Here's what the Bible says. It says they lied to their king because they feared God. Because they feared God. You see, sometimes we are faced in life with choices that are not ideal. Sometimes we, we, we don't get like, oh, option A is the perfect option and option B. Sometimes, have you ever had a situation where no matter what you choose, you're in a tough spot? Right? That's, a, that's the, the choice for Rahab. No matter what she decides to do, she's in a, a tough position where, where really either, either way she could sin. And really, you know, it's, it's kind of like when we are in a, a, a rock and a hard place, when we're in a tough spot, how do we know what to do? How did Rahab know what to decide? Because both of these decisions were not ideal. Well, number one, would you write this down? When we face conditions that aren't ideal, when we face choices that aren't ideal, what do we do as Christ followers? Well, here's, here's what I think the Bible makes it clear. We need to choose, we need to make a choice that, most, that will most align us with God. Choose to align yourself with God, to side with God. What was the reason, right? Rahab she changes teams. She's a traitor. She flips on her own people. She flips on her culture. What causes this, this turn, right? She, she, she betrays her hometown. She, 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 she flips on her own, her own namesake, describes what she believes in, right? Why, why, why does she flip on her own people? Why does she turn on her back on her own city? Well, let's look at verse 8. Maybe give us a little more insight. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with him. And I love when you kind of think about this, you have a woman here who can negotiate. She has a, her, her faith is on display a bit here. She says, I know the Lord has given you this land. This is verse 9. She told them. And she says this, I know what's going on in this city. 
I hear the chatter, I hear the news, I hear the people at the front gates, I hear the people coming into the house, right? Whether she was a mat, whatever it was, right? Whatever level of boss she was or whatever, whatever she, she knew what was going on. She makes it very clear. She says, we are all afraid of what? She says, we're all afraid of you. Basically, she lets the spies know, we've got nothing left but to hide behind our big walls. Everyone here is afraid. We've heard about you. We've heard about the Israelites. And here we go. Would you read the last part of verse 9? My translation says this. Everyone in the land was living in what? Terror. Everyone in the land was living in fear of what might happen to them. Rahab has heard. The people have heard. They've heard of this God who works wonders, this God who parts seas, this God who brings plagues to Egypt. They've heard the news. They've had travelers come in and out. And this, this, this Rahab, right, she's positioned to hear a lot of rumors. She's positioned in life to, to know what's going on. Maybe she entertained politicians and rulers and people of importance, right? She heard the chatter at the gates, and she says, man, I've heard that this God you serve is the real deal. I've heard about you Israelites and this, this God, this he, he is the real deal. Would you look at verse 10? Can we keep going through scripture here today? You still with me? Come on, you with me? So she starts going over the headlines. This is what I've heard, and I believe it. I believe it. I, I didn't have to see it, but I believe it. She says, for we've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. She says, and, and we know what you did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. We, we heard about how you just annihilated them. Verse 11, she says, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens and the earth below. We've heard about it all. We, we've, we've seen the press clippings. We heard about that guy that used to lead you, Moses. Now we've heard about this Joshua. We've heard about you guys. It's interesting to me, and, and maybe write some of this down in your notes because I was thinking about this today. It's interesting to me that Rahab makes it very clear. You ready for this? She makes it clear everyone knows about what God did. She makes it very clear that the city is living in fear. They're living in terror. She makes it clear that everyone knows about the God of the Israelites, yet the, th the question that I have, it's like, why is she the only one that makes a move? Why is she the only one that, that, that pleads for survival? Why is she the only one that tries to negotiate a deal, right? And I think sometimes, like, she makes this decision, even though she's protected behind these walls, Right? I think sometimes the people of Jericho, they, they knew about this God. They knew about the God that parted the Red Sea, but they still were going to decide to trust in what they could see, which was the walls. Right? They were like, you know what? I've, I've heard about it. I've heard about his power, but you know what? I'm still going to put my faith in these giant walls where we have our Sunday morning chariot races. I'm still going to put my faith in what I can see, even though we've heard stories about a God that parts seas, right? He makes a way when there's no way, right? I think it's possible that the rest of the people in Jericho, they decided we're going to hold on to what we have, right? We're going to hold on to the hope that we have behind these, these walls are going to protect us, right? These walls, we've, we've made it here long enough. We're going to be okay. But I love this about Rahab. She puts her faith in a God she had only heard about. 
She wasn't there at the Red Sea. She wasn't there when the Israelites experienced these victories. She puts her faith in a God she has only heard about, and in doing so, what we're going to see is she didn't go down with the walls like everyone else. Let's continue in Scripture. Verse 12. Now swear to me, swear to me by your God, by your Lord, that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee. When Jericho is conquered... She says this, you will let me live along with my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all their family. I love this this part because there's a negotiation going on here. She goes up to the roof. She says, I I did my part. I'm going to make, like, I, I saved your lives, but here's what I want you to do. You need to do me a solid. You need to pay it back. You need to pay it forward. And, and would you look at this, because this is a word that we kind of can miss, and it doesn't quite, when I was studying this week, this word doesn't translate correctly into our English vocabulary, our English language. Look at verse 12, if you would. Would you underline the word, she says, be kind to me and my family. Would you underline the word kind? Maybe your Bible says kindness. Would you underline that word? Would you circle that word in this in this scripture, because we can, in our English language, we can kind of just chalk it up and we're like, okay, be kind to me. And that means like, just, just let us survive. Take us as prisoners, do whatever. But no, 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 no. This is a big ask. Because this word kindness it, it, in, in the original language, uh, right, and I want to like put us there and understand it, it's used over 240 times in, in, in the Old Testament, and it's a term that is used to describe God's loyalty. The, the original word, it's, it's used to describe the way God loves his own. It's a way to describe God's covenant. It's a word that's used to describe God's covering. So when she says, will you be kind to me, she's not saying, will you just like save me a bologna sandwich and don't kill us. What she's asking for is she's saying, I want to be made I want in, I want the blessing, I want the covenant, I want the covering, I want the protection, I want the miracles, I want all of it for my family. That's what she's saying, like I don't wanna be, uh, I don't wanna be a person from Jericho anymore, I wanna be an Israelite. I wanna come under God's house, his covering. Her words are very intentional and, and what she's saying is she's like, I wanna be aligned with you. Would you show me kindness? I want to be aligned with this God that I have heard so much about. Let's look at more. Verse 14, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. But then they said this, we're all making deals here, but you better not betray us. They say this, you better not, we we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Um, I would say years and years of practice, Rahab has learned the art of negotiation. We'll just leave it at that. She has a doctorate in survival skills. In that culture, come on, this woman, I'm, I'm, I, she was probably faced with things we cannot even fathom, that our, some, that our wives or our daughters would be faced with choices in the way that she was probably raised in the culture she was raised in. And so she has a doctorate in street smarts. I'd say it like that. She's, she's clever. And we know this about Rahab to be positioned where she's at. She's a survivor. She's good at what she does. She knows how to last in the story she's in, in the culture she's in. She knows how to play the cards she is dealt. But you know what I, what I th- love about Rahab, much like all of our Hebrews chapter 11 heroes of the faith, is that she makes the first move. Do you notice that? The spies don't offer her covering. 
They just say, hey, save us, right? Rahab makes a move in faith, and it's a reoccurring theme in all of the, these, these heroes that we are talking about is that they act first. They take a step towards God first, right? The Bible makes it very clear. Without faith, without moving, right, it's impossible without faith to what? To please our God. Rahab's home, she was built into the side of Jericho, but here we go, when we know from Scripture, when those walls came down, when that city fell, her section survived, her family survived, her, her kids survived, her nephews survived. Number two, would you write this down? I love this about, because we don't just hear this story. I know we've read a lot of Scripture. We're going to read a little bit more if that's all right. Rahab, there's, there's a bit more to her story than just this helping the spies sneak out and throwing the, the linen over the, the, you know, the signal, all the different things that go into this amazing story. But number two, would you write this down? Only God's covering can transform our past. Right? Do we believe that today? Do we believe that's still true today? Let, let me repeat that. Only God's covering can transform our past. And I love about Rahab, this is not the end of her story. She's mentioned elsewhere in Scripture a few times. Like, she not only escaped death, she not only saved her family, but she goes on to marry a man in Israel. She goes on to marry a man of influence. She goes on to marry a man who is connected. Matthew chapter 1 says this about Rahab. She's mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, right? And it says this, Verse 5, it says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, <laughs> the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. We know about these heroes. Obed, the father of Jesse, and then get this, Jesse, the father of, somebody say it, King David. She becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. She becomes known as, as, as part, Matthew lists her, she's part of the lineage of the king. And not just King David, but then she be, she's part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, of the king. James chapter 2 says it like this, and we're going to get ready to, to close in, in just a minute. So I don't know, Tanner, are you here? Could you come jump on the keys? But uh, James chapter 2, our final scripture today, and this one kind of is a head scratcher for me, because as I was thinking this week, it's so interesting that Scripture uh, tends to talk about her profession so much. Um, in some ways, I'm like, this doesn't feel fair to me, right? I don't know if that's the Western culture that we live in. Like, why, why, is, she, like, why is she picked out all the time, or even I almost feel like picked on, by always like connecting her name to her job? It seems to, like, it's a reoccurring theme that Scripture does for Rahab and kind of seems like Rahab alone gets this type of treatment. Look in verse 24 of James chapter 2. James says this, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not faith alone. In this same way was not even Rahab the prostitute. Notice that, right? Circle that. Rahab the what? It didn't say Rahab the great-great-grandmother of King David, did it? They, they knew the lineage. He could, like, James could have wrote it down. Right? Actually, I'm kind of connected to her as well if it was James writing it, right? Hello. Right? He says, he says, like, Rahab and her job. Not only was Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And we know we, this would be a totally different subject, but when we talk about Jesus, the gift of 
salvation, the gift of forgiveness, right? It, it is a free gift simply because of the cross. It's not earned. It's not something we have to go and get, but it's a free gift for us to receive simply because of the blood of Jesus. But the faith of some of these Old Testament heroes, the faith of Rahab, God uses our faith to intervene in earthly situations. Isn't that amazing? We see that over and over again in this Old Testament. God uses our faith to intervene on earth. It's interesting to me, though, <laughs> that James and all of these scriptures mention what she used to be. Because the New Testament part of me goes, man, that doesn't feel very Jesus-like. Like we always talk about like new creation. You can be brand new and yet like we keep referencing her past. How many of you would like to be like every time we say your name and we greet you or we remember you in history, we write a story about your life, we just basically remind everybody about your biggest screw up. We remind everybody about your worst habit, your worst hobby, your worst broken relationship, your biggest failure as a dad or a mom, whatever it is, right? And I think sometimes I look at this like, no one else is referenced this way in scripture. We don't read like, it doesn't say Dr. Luke. We don't read that it doesn't say like Peter. The, right? We don't see like, it doesn't always reference Peter and say the fisherman. Peter gets this treatment where it's like the rock on which I'll build my church all the time, right? But in, in, in Rahab, it's interesting to me. It's like Rahab the harlot. It always goes back to like Rahab the prostitute. But you know what, what I was kind of thinking? I was like, man, I think Rahab is in heaven, and I think she doesn't mind one bit that we remember her by her profession, because I think her heart would be about reminding us that, you know what, no matter how far gone you think you are, God can use you again. No matter how far you have messed up your dirtiest dirt, your lowest low, your brokenness, God has use for you. I think God, he, he writes it about her in such a way that he wants us to remember over and over again that no one is too far gone to be a kingdom hero. No one is too far gone to be in God's hall of faith. You might be messed up, you might be dirty, you might be crumbling, you might be broken, you might be whatever, all those things, but God, I think God purposely mentions her occupation over and over again to reinforce a truth for us that no matter how bad the past was, something new can lie ahead for us in the future. There can be something new if we choose action. There can be something new if we choose to follow him, right? Choose him over the group thought. Choose him over the popularity. Choose him over the friends that are going one direction. Choose him over the, the drinking or the party, whatever it is. Choose him over the circumstance. Choose God. Choose to follow him over the, the money, whatever it is. But I love that Rahab says like, I want that covering. Right? She says, I want that kindness. I want that covenant relationship. I want God's protection. I want his blessing on my life. You think, I think it's interesting. I think Rahab got exactly what she requested from those two spies. There's some thought on who her husband Salmon was, and some, some think that, that he, um, he may have been like the, the ark. It's interesting kind of reading about who this man was she might have married. But the reality is God covers her so much, he brings her into a covenant relationship, and he transforms the shame of that profession and, and, and brings her into status of one of the leading ladies of Israel. 
right? She is listed in the lineage of Jesus Christ, and, and there is dignity attached to her name. There is wealth attached to her name. There's blessing attached to her name. There's hope attached to her name. And I think what a reminder for us, because God wants to give us hope, not only for today, not only for next week, but God wants to give us hope for eternity, hope of heaven. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray, church. God, we love you, and it is good to be in your house today. God, it is good to worship you today. God, it is good to get into scripture today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ability to gather and to continue gathering in this time. God, thank you for the story of Rahab. Because for me, God, it's encouraging to hear the story of a woman who sided with God. When she was faced with choices, she chose you. God, she chose to follow you. God, Rahab's story is a reminder for us today that sometimes siding with God means leaving your past. Sometimes siding with God means leaving your city. Sometimes siding with God means turning your back on your people in which you live. Sometimes siding with God means rejecting culture, which is what Rahab did. She, her culture was doing one thing and she went the other direction. As we close this morning, I want to ask you a question, and I think it just so beautifully is something to consider from the story of Rahab. Every Christian has to do this. Every Christ follower has to do this. Every person at some point in their life has to do this. The reality is at some point, each of us have to choose, and we have to decide who we're going to side with. Can we keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed? But sometimes we need to realize, like, am I going to choose Christ or the crowd? Am I going to choose God or this group thing? Am I going to choose Jesus as my king or am I going to worship culture as my thing, right? We each have to decide. We have to decide. You must choose. Sometimes choosing Jesus means a job is lost. A, you miss out on something, a raise. Sometimes choosing Jesus means a friendship goes bye-bye, sometimes choosing Jesus. Sometimes it means you lose a family member, a relationship, it impacts your dating life. Sometimes choosing Jesus, it shows where our allegiance and loyalties truly lie. But I want to ask you this morning, as we close and our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, who do you choose? Who do you choose? Rahab chose God's covering. I think Rahab was at a point, she recognized what she was doing, and she recognized in this moment there is a way out. In this moment, there is a path to get out of my sin. There is a way out of my situation. I'm going to choose this king. I'm going to choose this God. Who do we choose? Where are you today? Maybe you've never made a decision when it comes to Christ. Maybe you've never made a decision when it comes to faith. Maybe you've been running around doing things that you know don't represent Christ. But Rahab is a beautiful reminder that each person is valuable. Each person might be a little messed up. Each person might be a little bit dirty. But each person is made in the image of a God. Each person is made in the image of a king. It doesn't matter what the past has been because when you become a Christ, Christian, when you become a Christ follower, you become a new person on the inside. The Bible says that we do not have to be the same anymore. And Rahab was not going to be what she once was. She was not going to practice what she once did. She was not going to be the same anymore. 
And I just want to ask you, what do you choose? Do you want to choose to do something new? Do you want to choose a new life? If that's you this morning, I just want to ask you to lift your eyes or maybe lift your hands. And I was so excited where last week where we can just celebrate. And we had about seven salvations in the 9 a.m. service and nine at the 11. God, we want to see life change. God, we want to see your kingdom grow. God, we want to see our community grow in you. God, we want to see our church grow. But God, church growth is church. I'd say like this as we pray and I want to challenge people, but really church growth is pretty simple. It's a group of people getting excited about people making decisions for Christ. It comes down to that. Getting excited about life change, people changing, people getting excited about Jesus. So if you're here and you want to say, you know what, I, I need to do something new. I need to start something new. I need that kindness. I need that covering. Would you just lift your hand or would you just lift your eyes? I'm going to ask you if you want to just say, you know what, I've been far from Jesus and I want to get back into relationship with him. I've been away from Jesus. Maybe you've raised your hand before. Maybe you never have. But I want to ask you to do so. I want to ask you to lift your eyes and lift your hand. I'm going to count to three. And would you just do that? And would you say, you know what, I choose Jesus today. One, two, and three. Is there anybody here? Would you lift your hand? Would you lift your eyes my way? I'll see you if you let. I see it. I see you, young lady, right there. Let's celebrate that. I see you back there, young man. Can we pray, church? And man, if you've prayed this 10 times, if you've prayed it 100 times, but as a community, as a family, let's say, Jesus, I open my life to you. Jesus, I believe you went to the cross for me. I ask you to forgive me. Come on, those, those hands that went up today, say this, and, and everybody, let's say it with them because we celebrate it. Jesus, I ask you to guide me. Help me to focus my life on you. Help me to trust you. I want to start new. And let's say this today. Jesus, I want to experience your covering. I want to experience your covenant. I want to experience your kindness. I want to experience your grace and your forgiveness because that's all that's attached to your kindness, Lord. Thank you that we can start new. Come and be in charge of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Can all God's people say amen? Amen. Amen. Can we thank you, Lord? Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, you can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.